0: back to the podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. This episode was um, a while in the making. You know how sometimes you connect with someone online. Uh, you want to have a conversation. It takes a while to find that time and space. And then when you finally get to have that conversation, you just feel so thankful. Like I literally feel thankful to the universe um, for the conversation that I was just able to have with today's guest. And I want to let you know right at the top of the episode that today's guest has a coaching cohort that you can join. It does start in a matter of days. So you might actually want to pause the episode, check out the show notes, then come back. Um, I am sure that by the end of this conversation, you will be asking yourself, how might I learn more with them? Please just know that opportunity exists uh, and of course more opportunities will exist in the future as well. Enjoy this conversation. I know I did very much. Right, well, thank you, Trisha.
1: This is an honor. I've been following you for a while. So I, it's really nice to see you face to face and have this conversation with you. Um, many people share identifiers to help others feel comfortable with them. So I'm going to start with the labels, if you will. My name is Nayoung Weaver in Korean is Kim Nayoung. Um, I use she, they pronouns. I feel most affirmed by um, non-binary pansexual identities. I'm a mom of two children that currently identify as a girl and a boy. I'm an educator, math teacher, college counselor. I'm temporarily able-bodied. I was born in Seoul, South Korea. My parents are both South Korean. My paternal grandfather escaped from North Korea when he was 16. So there's a bit of generational history there as well. I grew up mostly in Singapore and Bangkok. I'm also known as transnational youth or third culture kid. I went to international schools my whole life until I went to the United States for college as an international student. And that's when I went uh, went for graduate school. I originally wanted to be an international human rights lawyer, but ended up in undergraduate admissions data administration at my alma mater in Massachusetts. Uh, So it actually kind of feels like a full circle teaching at an international school in Singapore, even though I'm not working at a school that I went to. That's it in a nutshell.
0: Thank you so much for for sharing. Uh, I also have been following you for a while, and I'm really excited to get some time to just listen to you share a little bit more. Uh, Listeners, it's also maybe important to note that Nyung has just wrapped up the end of a school year. Um, You know, that's a a specific mindset, I think, to be in um, at the end of a school year. I've moved schools several times and it's taken me a while to realize that you know you've wrapped up a school year that was the first year for you at a new school and first years are also really unique. Uh, I'm wondering if if you could maybe expand on how a new start is an opportunity to do identity work in a way that um, you know maybe we don't have that opportunity when it's our fifth or sixth year at a school and also um, I'm, I'm wondering if you might want to comment on how a new start is also intensely demanding when we're thinking about the amount of emotional labor required.
1: Thank you for asking the question exactly the way you did. A few different things coincided for me um, with my for my first year at my current school. So I was I was in the aspiring leaders of color program. I was a mentee at the Association of International Educators and Leaders of Color, also known as ALOC. Um, is a program created by Nadine Richardson, coordinated by Kevin Simpson. My mentor formerly was Jessica Wei Huang, who also happened to have her first year at the same school in Singapore. And I, I was just like, oh, the world is just expecting us to be together. Um, I was also an ALOC fellow. And so having that, those identities alongside my first year at my current school was really helpful to me, um, especially with my intersections of identities. I think with the lens that I have now, um, having gone through an extremely challenging experience from my last school, and consequently going through a transformational experience with the help of ALOC, like my worldview has changed quite a bit. Um, So for some context, this is just my second international school I actually taught in Massachusetts for about eight years in public and private schools before moving to international schools. And even though I grew up in international schools, what I've noticed is that international schools are not, they have not been created based on equity and justice and they continue to not perpetuate equity and justice. And I see my young self and the students I teach and I feel like it's been two or three decades now, I feel like the schools should have changed. I still see and feel the oppression in the schools I teach in. I'm hoping it's a, be- a little better now because there is the internet Um, But with the education structures in place and like, you know, all the educational systems like IB, AP and the fact that the makeup of the leaders have not changed that much since I've been a student. And I think that's quite heartbreaking for me. So my first year here, I, I honestly, I came into this current school with my armor off. I saw very clear DEIJ statements on the website. The interviews I had were about DEIJ and my work in DEIJ. Um, The leader that interviewed me was already known for her work in the realm as well. So I came in, I felt like I could be myself and was myself for maybe a month. And then I started noticing around me that maybe I should pick up some of my old armor and put them back on. And that has been my experience in, um, in a nutshell at my, my current school. I think for me, that's why it's been so helpful to have ALOC because as I was putting the armor back on, like it didn't feel feel right anymore. And it just felt heavier. It felt like I didn't have to put it back on. And so, yes, there has been emotional labor, but my first year has been very helpful to me because I've been practicing my anti-racist lens. So I found growth in that way. Um, And I'm even more now aware of the white supremacy culture in myself and around me. So I am grateful for that. So when it comes to identity work and the emotional labor I put into it, like I see the people around me at my school that need support for identity work, but I still feel like the institutions aren't gonna provide that. And you can talk about the faculty or the staff or even the students, like everybody in that ecosystem, they don't have that support. Like, I think there are too many layers of systems in place, like the myth of meritocracy, the white supremacy culture, scarcity mindset. And even though there's so much professional learning about, you know, cognitive coaching, inquiry based learning, concept based teaching and learning, like, all of those seem like just training. And in real life, we're not using that inquiry mindset to hear people's stories. We're not using cognitive coaching to really inquire about how the student has come to their identity and i feel like we're not applying what we're learning and it's almost like a cognitive dissonance to me because i feel like oh i learned something i need to apply it but that's not quite happening um
0: yeah thank you for for sharing that and you know it's you have me reflecting on the metaphor of the armor and how apt that metaphor is because of the weight because of the discomfort and part of me is wondering if you could paint a picture you could give an example i hear you so deeply on using that inquiry mindset to make space for lived experience you mentioned that a has been a space where you don't feel the need for the armor to come back on. Could you give us an example of how that is realized for you or how you do see an inquiry mindset? That link is there where we are taking that position in order, again, to lean into the value of humanizing our colleagues and our peers. So for someone who's hearing you talk about that, um, and they, there's almost um, a gap in the imagination of what that scenario entails. Do you think you might just be able to kind of um, draw in some of the details for a moment like that?
1: Sure. Um, and whether or not it's helpful, I'm, I might draw a few parallels. So something that ALOG does for me is we have the mission statement. We have the equity statement. And we stand by it. We follow it. If there's any kind of conversation or debate going on, we go back to it and we're like, these are our values, this is our mission. Whereas I feel like a lot of international schools, they have something on the website, but it isn't what is happening on the ground. And that is one example of how I feel like, why, why is there a disconnect there? Why aren't we walking the talk at all? So that's a mission-based something that I, I feel like I could bring in. Something that ALOC does, I feel like is really helpful to me personally, was that any idea that a member has is, okay, ALOC's a platform. Here you go. You do with it what you will. And the work that ALOC has accomplished, even in the short time I've been there, just with the, all the different affinity groups, like you can call it API, a white accountability, just whatever you want. Like it's going to happen. Black women, just like all of that, Right. Whereas the support is more conditional at international schools. You come with an idea and they're like, okay, what about this? What about this? How are you gonna implement it in these kinds of systems? And the, the reasoning for not letting an idea manifest has to do with system systems. But if those systems were created in a way that wasn't based on what the mission is about, which at least at our school's website is anti-racism, then what is happening there? Like how is a regular staff member or a student supposed to understand that? What is the code switching that needs to happen to understand that? And then what are we teaching? What are we learning when the front doesn't match the back? When the walk doesn't match the top? Like, well, what are we teaching them? And in my humble opinion, that has to do with internalizing all of that oppression, internalizing that code switching and trying to navigate in a, a space where I can't believe what I'm thinking anymore. Mm. I have to figure out how to navigate the system to try to fit in. And that's, I guess that's another example I can think of off the top of my head if I answered your question.
0: You did, yeah. And it, it, um, you know, I hear you talking about too, the the way in which ideas are met, are they met with like, uh security and a gate or are they sort of met with like this welcoming smile and a hey here's like what do we have what are the resources that we we've got a trampoline for you um and just thinking about what happens when a new idea is introduced into an ecosystem right how what is the response? Uh, I know that coming up actually just next week, I cannot believe next week is July, but um, coming up really in a few days, you're co-facilitating a coaching cohort that's going to be looking at um, you know, what, what you were just describing and hopefully, again, continuing to allow educational practitioners to reflect on what it is that we've internalized, how those messages, um, how we have an opportunity to reshape digest, rethink, reimagine. Um, I'm interested in co-facilitation, how it stretches us, how it sustain a, sustains us, and how actually when professional learning is done with a co-facilitator, there's almost like a different power dynamic that's being modeled. So I'm wondering if you might talk a little bit about what it means for you to lead alongside of another educator um, and and maybe just share some wisdom about how you approach the co-creation of a professional development experience where, again, there is a shared power dynamic um, and there's conversations.
1: Yeah, I think you kind of answered the question for me. So many <laughs> you were your, your words a little bit, just like the stretching and the sustainability, right? There is a sense of trust, obviously, sense of vulnerability and definitely someone that can hold you accountable. I definitely have a lot of blind spots. So I think it's really important to co-facilitate or be in a learning space with people that definitely are not like me. So I think it's very helpful that someone like Van- Fandy, um has approached me with work with the IDEIJ or IDE continuum. And um, this co facilitating coaching core. the idea again is from her about coaching people through understanding I- um, DEIJ. That's why the letter I is in there and about exactly how you said, how does it stretch you? How does it sustain you? How do you find yourself in the work? I think it's really important for all of us to make our own connection, right? Because we all have really different identities. And if we can make that personal connection, that's how it's going to sustain us. If we find the joy and if we find the niche in this work, that's what sustains us. At ALOC, we did this whole mapping of ecosystem. We've made it very clear that everybody has a role and you can define what your role is. Unfortunately, when you have systems in place where the hierarchy and the um, inequitable power systems are in place, that can't happen because there are too many other systems to uphold. So that's why their ideas are being met very differently. I mean, we have Kevin as the founder, but. Everybody's voice is so important at, at ALOC. And that's where I met Fandi, which again, she's very good at holding me accountable and is not afraid to be vulnerable with me. Um, I think when you're creating a genuine learning space, like there's no room for pretense. Um, so my mentor, Jessica, she had a mentor, and I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, Le Monois, he's the one that directed The Color of Fear, the documentary. Um, he, he has a saying that says, you can only facilitate up to the amount of work you have done on yourself. And I find that so powerful because you you can't pretend to do DEIJ or if you want to call it DEIJ, you can't pretend to do identity work. I can't pretend to be you, Tricia, right? So like my connection with my identity and the work I've done is going to show and anybody that shares certain identities with me, maybe I can coach them along the way, but the idea is to build capacity in them And to give them the tools that have worked for me sometimes and maybe give a short few shortcuts by sharing some of the resources that i have and that building of relationships and community i think is very important um i don't know if that's wisdom or not but i do find it very important like i I know you know rama and ji my co-fellow at ALOC, like that's the kind of relationship we have and we've learned so much and that transformational experience that can help with genuine identity work, where for a long period of time, you're coaching each other and working through steps together. That's so powerful. It's so powerful.
0: It is so powerful. And what you said absolutely would, I think, (laughs) I think of as wisdom, Uh, no need to clarify that. But it dawns on me that as you are describing this, at least in my experience, because identity work has been apart from educational ecosystems, it dawns on me that as you are talking about it, there might be some folks who are listening who think, well, sure that exists here because we ask people to reflect. And I think um, it, it might be useful for you to just talk a little bit about identity work and and when it is present, in learning systems, here's some of the ways that you know it's being done. Because I, I just, I do worry sometimes about um, there's not a familiarity of it, and at least in my experience, there's not necessarily been a valuing of it. I hear folks say a lot about like relationships matter here, but then how? What does that mean? How has that value been invested in? Sometimes, like you scratch at the surface, and it's like because they do, Um, you know, and and we need better than just that kind of, because it does, of course it does, you know, there's people here, they have to relate with one another, Um, and identity work goes much deeper than that. Um, Could you care just to expand a little bit about um, that it's not just, oh, I asked somebody to reflect one day, they did, they did it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, um, that's the if you want to call it performative, or that's the checkbox part to it. And yeah, I think we can go a little deeper than that. And all those sayings, things like, you know, representation matters or like that that there's a reason why they're saying they're, they're sayings like that. And my mentor again was instrumental. Um, I had never had a leader, a mentor that looked like me that understood Again, we don't have the same exact identities, but she at least looks somewhat like me, where I saw myself being like, oh, I could be a leader. And by the way, none of what I'm saying is like my idea. It's like a culmination of all the leaders I've spoken to and all the people that have taken time to talk to me and guide me, just we're in a space where we have so many resources. And if we don't find our connection to the work that we're reading or that we're listening or that we're watching or applying, then we're performing. And that can do much more harm than not doing it. I mean, I think, I don't think we should not do anything, but it could, it could cause more harm. So the idea that when you go into professional learning spaces or um, you go into spaces where there are people to lend you a hand and guide you, like, The world's gonna talk to you, in my opinion. The world talks to you when they're ready to take you to the next step. So so I have seen versions of this where um, I think you're familiar with being the change. Like they have that, you know, why I'm from poem. And um, I think it's important to take like homeroom advisory or whatever class you're teaching through that. But I have seen students engage in it in a way that is a checkbox. Like, I'm just gonna complete this assignment. And, you know, they're like graphic organizers that where you can like write down all the different things you hear, feel. And if you want identity work to be that, then that's all you're going to get out of it. If you're put put more into it, though, and you really look into your heritage and you look into, you talk to your parents about your identity, if you talk about your, uh, if you think about your relations that you have, whether it's with your siblings or cousins or anybody else around you. and Think about the power that dynamic that is involved in that. Like, you get to really understand your identity and how it fits into the real world. And that internal and intercommunal understanding of your identity, I think it's essential. Unfortunately, I wish I could see more of that in international schools, especially international schools, instead of just kind of tokenizing cultures and identities and holidays. Where we actually delve deep into our heritage. And I honestly still have yet to see it. Um, I do see signs of what it doesn't look like. And I think it's all things that you've heard before where students says, you don't have to worry about the pronunciation of my name. Or, you know, I, I heard that twice this year and it was heartbreaking. And um, you know, going around the classroom where I'm not just asking students that for their name pronunciation, not just from the students that I can't pronounce, but I'll like I'll be like, Aaron, that's your name. Is that how to pronounce that? And kind of turning it around so that everybody is equitably telling me how their name is pronounced. If I'm going around and asking the usual marginalized names how it's pronounced and not with the names that are heteronormative or like Anglophone, then I'm creating injustice right there. And I think it's important to be very aware of that And luckily I have been able to reflect on that because how of my name was pronounced by my seventh grade English teacher. So I think being able to make those connections and then living a life that you want to make that incremental change for, I think that's what's, what's the important, what the important part is.
0: Thank you for sharing that. Um, You've touched on ALOC and you are an ALOC fellow. What has that community done to help you think more about really the potential for educator communities um, where they need to go or how they might reflect on where they are and get a clearer more accurate picture and profile and and think about how they build community
1: yeah so i'm gonna name drop a little bit here for me it all started with dominique blue i'm not sure if you're familiar with her she's one of the ALOC advisory council members we happen to be in the same city and she just met with me and Rama. She just met and sat with us and listened to us and was not telling us what to do, but very much like, oh yeah, yeah, that's normal. Oh yeah, that's what this is called. Oh yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's why it's primary state culture. Like she was very good at giving us the language in that one meeting on how to, first of all, not feel like we're crazy and two understand what we're going through so that we can move and grow from it. So from that relationship, from that time, that mentor, that informal mentor that happens through ALOC. um, There were other people that just were so helpful, like Nunana, like out of the blue, decided to like have a Zoom meeting with us. Um, We've had obviously Elisa Pereira, Starnell Fine, Daniel Wigner. Um, I've also have gotten help from Rod Jameson this year. Cynthia Roberson, she met with us. No questions asked, just wanted to chat, hear us out now Tanu, I'm sure you know, um, Joel Lebon Jr., like people just willing to give up time and just be like, I hear you, I see you. You're not abnormal. Everything you're going through is completely normal. It's the system that we're in. So that, that whole being seen, being heard, being told that we matter, that like it's an incomparable. And it isn't the kind of, oh, we all matter, like we're all, we all belong. It's that genuine like, yeah, isn't that messed up? Isn't that crazy? We're all living in it too. So in that sense, like ALA creates that community where the information is shared in a way, unfortunately, where a lot of us have to go through the trauma to talk about it, but that language, that education is happening. The community visioning, like we're talking about this, we're talking about the human resource offices and the mediocre leaders, how toxic they are, how bureaucratic things can be, how how everything has to be about our survival, but we don't wanna just survive, right? We're used to adapting, sure, but we don't wanna keep adapting, right? We wanna make the systemic change together. And I think that's where ALOG comes in really handy. like they. ALOG really helps me believe that I do have superpowers, that I do have things to contribute and that I don't have to put armor on or like mold myself into a system that doesn't want me there. Another thing that I think is really important is that um, ALOG feels very anti-capitalist to me, like it's a platform for whatever you want to bring. I feel trusted there. I feel trusted for being myself there. No matter where I'm where I'm in my journey, like I'll have people to hold me accountable to where I am. And be like, hey, Nayong, blind spot here. And they'll point it out to me. And I'm so happy they're doing that. I'm so happy that they're on this path with me. They're helping me. They're holding me accountable. And the growth is happening because of that. So, I mean, we all know how, if you wanna call it work, like we know how it works. It's generational, there's no rush. We're all working towards the same goal. We want to support our students, we want to support each other, and we're going to keep doing it, whether or not it's at our school or not.
0: I really appreciate you you sharing that and, uh, of course, dropping all of those names because I think, you know, again, where we see communities expanding um, rather than being restrictive, or you know, I I can think of some educator communities where it's about, you um, you know, one or two person, like upholding them as like an edu celebrity and rather than how are we building a network and as you say, seeing our network as one that's going to value accountability because we know that accountability helps us grow rather than be so afraid of it. Um, that That's just really powerful and I think an important reflection to have in terms of how is power operating within our community? What have been the ingredients for our growth? What does it mean for us to see one another as sources to help us rethink mm-hmm. for it to be OK to have been perhaps wrong or you know, needed support? And that that's what the point of this is. Um, it's just it's it's really powerful. So thank you for again just describing that. Um, your LinkedIn profile, your About section, it has this really powerful quote that I wanted to explore with you. It reads, "Quote: My job as a teacher is to make the local-global interconnections in mathematics so that students can choose which understanding works best for them." Because I learned math from three different cultures, I understand math itself as a language that unifies cultural differences. End quote. I'm hoping you might um, be able to point us to a resource or a story that helps us excavate that really beautiful idea. Um, uh, you know, that belief in practice, I think that really, the way that that speaks to, you as an educator and also to the purpose of math is is really quite moving. Uh, and I would just love to, to hear more on you from from more from you on that.
1: Um, the answer to this actually goes along with what you just commented on. Thank you for commenting so eloquently, like mistakes are how you learn, right? It's the same thing with math. Mistakes are how you learn. So I have a few different examples. But I think um, one that's maybe has the most sub examples, if you will. Um, do you know FOIL? Like how to multiply binomials, first, outer, inner, last. I had to learn that by the way, to teach it in Massachusetts, because <laughs> I didn't learn it like that. Um, I think that's a good example uh, because when I taught it in public schools, it was different from how I taught it in private schools in Massachusetts. And then teaching it in China, and then now in Singapore, I think, every culture has a different way of doing it. So, you know, the U.S. example, which is first, outer, inner, last, um, it's, it's multiplying binomials. That's like the formal way to say it. Um, and one other way I've seen it is like giving each term a variable, like AX plus B in parentheses or brackets, whatever you call them, multiply by CX plus D. And then like you memorize, okay, ADX plus BCX makes the middle term. And like, you kind of, memorize it that way um, there's a distributive property model i've seen the lobster claw model i don't know if you've seen that one mm-hmm. draw the lines it looks like lobster claws um, i've seen area model um, uh, i've had a russian student show me a factorization method that goes with foil i've had a german student show me a division method and um, which involved like what looked like a, a factorized factorizing ladder to me they call it ladder. I don't know if you like looks like that L, and you just factor. So, like, what an exercise that I like to do is when the classroom allow, when the students allow it is having all the students come up and show me the different ways, right? And then we recognize the pattern. What's the pattern here? What are we trying to do? Each method is different, but it gives us the same answer. And understanding what is happening, I think that conceptual understanding, that's what sticks to their brains. So they can figure out which way is best for them. Like, all of us have different brains, we all know, understand things differently. But if they fundamentally understand what multiplying variables and what bringing terms together means, that's the sustainability part. That's when they actually remember what they're doing. And then that builds the basis for like polynomial long division, if you will, and like other Um, other topics that come after that so I think that individual personal understanding is very important and then being able to see with your colleagues with your fellow students hey what are they doing why is that method work sometimes and not others how can I grow from that that kind of communal learning I think is very important so that's one example I have in math and and I you know those are the our favorite moments as educators right when you hear that like silence and they go like Oh, like, you hear that happening, that, that, that's what we work for. And I think that's important that we do that. Just the communal learning, the understanding patterns, inquiry method, all of that conceptual understanding.
0: Yeah. That's, I, I really appreciate you uh, giving that, that sort of... Um like emotional color to the situation where you can feel the anticipation, like that wave building, the silence before, the actual, you know, verbalizing of aha moments. And you have me thinking about how, as you said, it's about bringing the community together, allowing or encouraging the silence so that that happens. Um, You know, I'm, I'm just reflecting on how we need that in all facets of our learning ecosystem, uh, and I'm guessing again that will sort of be something that you and, and Fandy are working together in your in your coaching cohort. So, in closing, I kind of just was wondering um, we can link to it in the show notes for anybody who's listening and they're thinking, you know, I would love to be a part of an educator community this summer where that's that the philosophy that you've just sort of um, described and characterize can you talk to us about how there might still be time um, if they would like to join that that coaching cohort Um, i I thought that might be a nice closing because i think if i mean as i'm listening to this i'm thinking i want to learn more with you and i'm guessing my listeners are feeling feeling the same so that opportunity does exist
1: well thank you for that and again this is a collaborative opportunity I would love to hear your story. I would love to hear where you are. We only ask that you come as you are. Um, We hope you'll feel that the space will be exactly for you. And then we're just going to give you a few tips here and there so that we can guide you towards growing. That's it. Just how can we take the next step for growth? And especially if you feel like you've been stuck in a rut or like if you feel like you're frustrated with the lack of progress whether it's within yourself or in your community like let's just talk about it and hopefully we'll have some some little tidbits of wisdom that we can share with you the very least we'll share resources that have worked for us and again we hope that we can just have a conversation about it an honest conversation
0: i i, I love that in closing um, educators i hope that those of you who are in community with other educators this summer uh, that it is a space, as you were saying, where the facilitators want your story. Your story is part of it, um, and uh, that it doesn't have a deficit mindset. Come as you are is also a really important message that we need to hear more often, right? Um, because we are complex human beings. So, being a space in a space where I think it's we're being realistic about that, uh, and also that your identity is cared for, it's an important experience to have. So uh, over there in the show notes, you will find the link to join that um, that coaching cohort if you are interested. Otherwise, again, thank you for for referencing and talking a little bit more about ALOC. Um, they also have a new FastPass out, so I'll, I'll have a link over in the show note if you would like to experience that. Thank you so much for sharing your your time and your story and your insight with us. I hope also in the summer you you get some some rest and um, your own kind of quiet time before the next wave of ahas.
1: Thank you so much, it's meant a lot to me.
0: Listeners, thank you for being with us and sharing in today's conversation. I wanna leave you with a reminder about an opportunity for growth for the scholars in our life. So check out this note about the camp of mathematical queries. Are you, or someone you know, a high school student that identifies as LGBTQ+. Plus? If so, Camp of Mathematical Queries might be the perfect summer opportunity for you. Camp of Mathematical Queries is a free, virtual math enrichment program designed to tap into the rich funds of knowledge of the LGBTQ plus community and to provide a space in which queer and mathematical identities are affirmed as interconnected entities central to the teaching and learning of math. Throughout the camp, students will engage in mathematical problem posing and problem solving of tasks centered on the beauty and joy of LGBTQ culture and history. To learn more about this free enrichment opportunity, visit thequeermathematicsteacher.com.